Well, welcome everybody. Uh, welcome to our discussion uh, around GameStop uh, and GME shares uh, regarding their latest uh, price spikes. And uh, basically, we just want to try to provide you with uh, a different perspective, looking at uh, aspects and details that uh, haven't generally been covered well, if at all, by uh, mainstream media or um, or any other sort of uh, uh popular social media platforms um yeah so i've got linko here uh he's um he's a maths physics tutor works for me i'm, I'm sam i i tutor maths and physics uh, for shits and giggles um and my good friend here christian is uh linking in from all the way from singapore uh he's a data scientist works for grab uh and he he, he he looks at these things for fun, as 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 do we. We we were a bit nerdy here, aren't we all? Yeah, yeah. How are you guys? How are you guys? Yeah, I'm yeah, good, great. thanks. Um, really looking forward to have a chat about this because I'm really interested in it, but I feel like there's a lot that doesn't really make sense. So yeah, hopefully you guys fill in a bit of that blank gap. Yeah. So Christian, what uh what what what's your take? I mean, like what's been What's been going on with you regarding regarding this? Because uh, from what I know, you you have a little bit of invested interest. Yeah. So um, so I guess just for some context, I think that you know, because I mean, I'm sure everyone in the world is aware of the COVID situation. So I think just to set some context, you've got a lot of very bored people who probably. You know they're still earning incomes but they they're not doing as much discretionary spending as they used to so you know they've got all this all this kind of saved up money nothing to do with it way too much free time on their hands so then along comes this um you know wonderful subreddit called wall street bats you know giving a lot of you know really great really prudent you know really sound investment advice <laughs> and um yeah just snowballs you know everyone jumps on the bandwagon and before you know it we've got um you know like you know we've got a group we've got a group of redditors like quite literally making financial history yeah so, yeah right. at a very high level that's what's going on yeah yeah i mean um sounds it sounds like they from from my perspective it sounds like they they triggered something now, as for mm -hmm. whether they uh, they are the reason for the mildly prolonged spike in um, share price, I'm I'm not sure. But uh, by 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 what they did, by them pouring into the market the way they did, um, it sounds like they triggered uh, the stop losses of um, short sellers um, mm -hmm. to need uh, to need to really cover their positions to the point where um, some of these institutional investors have actually needed a bailout yeah yeah that's absolutely correct so so i guess just to kind of set the stage for why these institutional investors got caught with their pants down um there's sort of two main things so the media has been talking a lot about this thing called a short squeeze so for listeners who aren't aware um in essence a short squeeze happens when um when institutional investors want a want a shorter stock, so shorting a stock, you're you're um, you're making money when the stock price falls, but you have to actually borrow shares to do this. So if you if you don't own a share and you're borrowing a share, this is called like a naked short. So these institutional investors were 
um, like running up massive naked shorts, shorting, you know, over a hundred percent of the company. I, I think it was if like I remember correctly, it's 130, 140 was like yeah. last Friday or some, some crap was it predicted. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's the figures that are being tossed around about 130 140 percent yeah i mean so, so just to just to clarify and to i guess put it in terms that people can un, like those who haven't been following can understand a bit better it literally means there have been 140 percent of the total number of shares released by gamestop the company mm -hmm. have been borrowed and sold on a loan basis correct in other words to, for these institutional investors to uh, close off and meaning um, uh, exit from that, the risk of their investors and close their positions, they have to, mm -hmm. in total, they will need to figure out how to, uh, uh, how to circulate 140% of the total number of shares on float. Yeah, so under normal circumstances, that wouldn't be a problem. Like if there was liquidity in the market. So where where Wall Street bets comes in is if you can buy all the shares in the market, you make it a hell of a lot harder for these institutions to close their positions. So that's what's classically known as a short squeeze. So in, in other words, if we put it in more simple economic terms, especially if there are any you know teenagers or high schoolers who are you know just starting out in learning economics. Um, Essentially, your institution, your, your short sellers created a situation where not immediately, but in the near future, there was going to be a huge demand for these for GME shares. Um, and what Wall Street Bets did was come in and try out the supply. So you have this twofold effect, spike in demand, sinking supply, price takes an exponential hike. Yeah, yeah. So that's what the media has been covering. There's actually another thing that's probably more interesting that the media hasn't been covering. And that that's what is commonly referred to as a gamma squeeze. So what a gamma squeeze is, is when option sellers, so the guys who are writing these options, if they're prudent, they'll actually be buying the share before they write the option. So let's say they you know, irrespective of if they're selling calls or puts, they'll be they'll be buying the buying the underlying share so that they can write write the contract. So for the for the option sellers, it's no problem. Like they buy they buy the share, they sell the contract, it's all good. They profit they profit that difference. But for the overall market, if a lot of people are buying option contracts then these option sellers are buying a lot of shares to write those options. So typically um, it's a little bit more complex, but typically a lot of these retail investors, so especially guys on Robinhood, they'll actually be buying options rather than shares. So an option gives you the opportunity, but not the obligation to either buy or sell a share at some point in the future for a nominal fee. So the reason why someone might wanna do this is because typically it's going to cost you a lot less than the actual share. So say a share costs 400 bucks, an option might cost $4. So, so you can control, you know, a hundred times, you know, if you've got a thousand bucks, you can control a hundred thousand dollars worth of shares with your, with your thousand bucks. Yeah. And the, for the option writers, they have to buy, you know, 
$100,000 worth of shares to be able to sell those $1,000 worth of, of options contracts. So it actually Taking makes dollars to control $100,000. That's a crazy amount of leverage though. Exactly, exactly. But these, um, you know, these financial geniuses on Wall Street bets, they're, they're very risk tolerant, you know, they're really brave people. But, but, but the point yeah. here is the guy who's creating this contract, he's buying the shares to be able to write that contract. So that's what's called a gamma squeeze. So the more people who buy these contracts, the more these option creators are buying shares. So it just snowballs. It's, and it's much more violent than a, than a short squeeze. Yeah. So by the looks, well, I mean, looking at the charts um, of, mm -hmm. of that spike um, yeah. and going by, you know, going by their numbers of walls are like 1600%, uh, was it? So, so, something mm, yeah. something, like something stupid like that. Um, would you would you say this, that was more uh, an indication of what you have just mentioned, a gamma squeeze rather than a, uh, a short squeeze? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I think it goes without saying that there's elements of both, like there's elements of a short squeeze and a gamma squeeze. And I, I think one of the main problems is um, just lack of transparency in the financial markets. Like it's really, you know, like it's, it's really difficult for me to say like, oh, you know, 75% was a gamma squeeze and 25% was a, was a short squeeze. Um, I really couldn't tell you, but if I had to guess, I'd probably say that the gamma squeeze was a lot more violent than the short squeeze. Typically gamma squeezes are very, very violent. Um, but once again, you know, without transparency, without knowing sort of all the, all the data of all the option houses, it's really, really hard to speculate on sort of what the proportions were. Yeah, right. And, yeah, and it's a massive shift and like the capital that would have required for something like this to happen would have been insane. Do you reckon it would have been mostly Reddit or maybe some institutions would have gathered like this idea that there's a movement going on on Reddit and possibly cash in? Yeah, so it's difficult. It's difficult to know, but I think you'd have to be naive to not think that there was institutional money on both sides of the trade. So I'll give you an example. Um, so officially, like if you look at the official figures, Fidelity are, you know, the biggest owner of GameStop stock. And when all this like hoo-ha, like when all the brokers were, you know, sort of trying to restrict trade, Fidelity was going, oh, hey, Redditors, like, you know, come over to Fidelity, I'll let you buy as much GameStop as you want. And the reason for that is because they're the, you know, they're the world's biggest holder of GameStop. That's great for them. You know, they own, you know, over 10% of the stock. So, you know, they were laughing all the way to the bank. Oh, so in blows. terms of like just how prevalent, you know, sort of was it mainly institutions on one side and mainly Redditors on the other. It's, you know, once again, without sort of a more transparent market because it really isn't that transparent. You don't really know sort of what's going on here. It is really hard to say. 
So it's but almost like, like if, I mean, if they were allowing that sort of, if Fidelity was allowing that sort of stuff or like encouraging that sort of stuff, it's almost like uh, a, a underhanded way to try to exit their position. Oh no, so I mean, Fidelity is holding GameStop. Like they've had it for ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were encouraging retail investors to join, like, you know, buy off of them. Buy, buy. Yeah. I'm oh, I see stocks. what you mean. You know, if they were encouraging retail investors to buy, like, I can see where there could definitely be some questions as to, especially if, um, when's the next quarter, uh, quarter's, um, uh, figures supposed to be released or like they're, they're, they're reporting. Um, if we see that they have taken a huge dump in, um, in, in GME stocks like that, that definitely raises questions. Yeah. So, so I think in terms of what their motivation was, I think there's sort of two, for, for, for anyone listening, there's sort of two main types of investing. So you've got your active investors that are really, um, their motivation for buying and selling is really to kind of uh, kind of quote unquote beat the market like they're actively trading their stock trying to turn a profit and then you've got an, a second type of investor who these are these are what's called passive investors so passive investors are really just trying to follow the market you know they're buying they're buying gamestop because gamestop is just like any other um american company and they want to they want to follow the American market as a whole. So in terms of how much of Fidelity's holdings are due to sort of passive investments versus active investments, I think like you say, um, we will see probably, you know, this month when their new, like when, new, when the new reports are coming out and we see sort of what they're holding. But I think from an, from an active point of view, if you're buying, you know, maybe you're buying this stuff for less than 10 bucks and then it's, hitting, you know, four or five, like almost $500 a share. Um, as an active investor, it definitely makes sense to sell. Like you, we heard some crazy predictions, you know, you know, uh, you know, diamond hands, like it's going to mm. hit a thousand bucks or it's going to hit 10,000 bucks. Oh, no, I mean, like, I guess like what I was, uh, well, I mean, what, what, what I was suggesting was um, before Wall Street bets, you know, initial bulk of buy-in and I'm, I've actually been trying to dig up the charts that I saw earlier, but you could mm -hmm. see, uh, you could see this spike in volume traded, um, right yeah. before, uh, right, right before that exponential increase in, um, in stock prices, uh, from, I think about two weeks ago, like there's yeah. this huge, there is this huge anomaly in volume traded on, on, I think one or two days right before that increase, that price increase. Um, it would be yeah. interesting if say like the month leading up to that or, or so, there was like encouragement from institutions that were holding like uh, uh, the lion's share of, um, of GME stocks to see that they have thrown out encouragement to buy in, to, to open up long, like to, to retail investors to open up long positions like that. That, I mean, I would say raises questions, definitely shady shit. Like, yeah, knowing it's, it's almost, it's, it's almost like they themselves don't believe in it. Their other institutional buddies don't believe in it. And yet they yep. were talking it up like it was great. And then you've got 
you got all these uh, retail investors buying in and all of a sudden their position in GME halves. That's, uh, that's shady. Yeah, so I think what this really, really comes down to is um, this idea in economics of like information asymmetry. So is there an information asymmetry between retail investors and institutions? I'd say not only is there an asymmetry, but also sort of in the financial press, these big institutions have a lot of leverage. You know, these institutions can kind of push a narrative that, that they want. So, you know, would you be going to say CNBC for totally unbiased, you know, financial advice and financial news? Um, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to get into a litigation here, but um, I think the, so we can't afford it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, sort of people do need to think critically when they're reading these, these news stories, especially these financial news stories, because there's always an agenda. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, another... there's always an agenda on both sides. It's just depending on the platform you're hearing the story from. You know, if you're hopping onto Reddit to try and get the story, you're definitely not going to be hearing the same story as you would on, like you said, Sim. Yeah. Unnamed popular news me uh, media outlet, you know? Um, because at the end of the day, like they're, they're, they're told by different people. They're told by different sides. They're told by opposing sides. So you expect some drastically different stories. Um, I mean, some of these stories in like on, on Reddit are, you know, guys that are crying, uh, not crying, they're not crying, unless you mean war cries. They're making war cries about how they are still, they have still got diamond hands and I still don't understand what is so diamond after like about. millions of losses. Yeah, sure. They did, they, they did some pretty hilarious thing. They, uh, who lost how much money? Melbourne Capital, how much did they lose? Um, yeah, they lost ungodly amounts of money. I know. Right. I know they got a, They got two point seven five billion from from uh, Citadel, Citadel to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, sure. Like that's you know, in the moment, that is some hilarious thing. Like that is a hilarious thing to achieve. But afterwards, it's been over a week now. Who's by now? Who is the who is the one losing money? Like. Mm. Um, you know, they, these guys, like I was, I was watching some live stream of some, some dude, uh, I, I was watching the live stream on YouTube and he was like, yeah, I am down this much and I shit you not. He proceeded to say, but it's not realized yet because I haven't closed my position. These are just theoretical losses. You I hold and it comes back up and I'm like, I mean, when it comes back to the symmetry of information that you were talking about, of course, there's both sides of, to it, you know, Wall Street bets versus big news corporations and the, um, what's it called, investment firms. Yep. But the information that people are getting on Wall Street bets are very much not very informational at all, like, compared to what the institutions would be getting, like. Mm. Mm. So, Would you say that the institutions are actually getting more uh, uh, able to get more accurate real-time data than um, than these retail investors? Yeah, so it's it's a very interesting question. Um, but just to give people some backgrounds onto how this short squeeze actually eventuated, 
there's one of the big institutional investors called Citron Capital. Um, so they were one of the short sellers research about GameStop and, you know, they, they made it very clear that the market was, you know, very heavily shorted, you know, above a hundred percent. And there's a famous, famous Redditor. I won't, I won't call, I won't say his name because it's, it's quite a rude name, but if you know, you know, his D initials are D yes. DFV. Yes. DFV. DFV. Yes. Yeah. So DFV was actually one of the first Redditors who really sort of read that research, did his own analysis, realized, yeah, this is, you know, this is good stuff and just sort of tried to get as many Redditors in on this as possible. So I think, I think once, once again, like, is there good data out there? And are these Wall Street bets guys capable of doing good financial analysis? I think one thing that's very important to say is these institutions, they aren't gods, you know, they're, they're not, you know, it's not like the median IQ of a, of a um, investment banking analyst is that much higher than the average guy on Wall Street bets. You know, it, you know, in terms of sort of intelligence and capability, some people on Wall Street bets are fantastic and they're capable of doing really, really, really good, good analysis. Um, and especially, you know, once again, given that they have too much free time on their hands, they just... You know, they just go nuts and they, they're able to find this really good information. I mean, um, so, I mean know, yeah, like, like I think you bring up a good point with uh, DFV and his initial analysis. I think I was, uh, uh, I think I somehow managed to dig up his post all the way from July last year regarding this thing. But um, yeah. I, I want to visit that a bit later because um, what I, what I want to discuss was, uh, I mean, you, you know, you guys have uh, spoken of transparency. You guys have spoken of um uh, um, um, institutional power over um, over retail investors, and I think one of the biggest, hottest topics of uh, uh, most contentious topic has been um, the different platforms, but mainly Robinhood, um, yep. and and their, uh, uh, their 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 policies to limit uh, limit trades of um, of not just GME but other heavily shorted stocks too. So, yeah, now. With, with uh, so even though Robinhood isn't the only platform, I mean, firstly, I think that's a very interesting uh, talking point is Robinhood isn't the only platform doing that. But for some reason in the media, Robinhood is the only one copying it. Yeah. I mean, why, why do you guys think that is? I mean, I, I think I have my own opinion on why that is, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see what you guys see. So... So I guess like the the Robinhood story is a really juicy story because um, over a third of Robinhood's revenue actually comes from Citadel. So Citadel is, you know, Citadel is like the main, one of the main institutions that bailed out Milton Capital. You know, they are just one of the biggest market makers in, in America. You know, they're, they're kind of a financial behemoth. So this, this, this uh, a main thing that people don't understand about the retail, um, retail trading business is that, you know, these users aren't paying Robinhood a fee. There's no, it's commission-free trading. They're not signing up. You know, they're not paying some monthly subscription fee. 
Um, so, you know, as with most tech companies, if you're not paying a fee, you're basically, you know, you basically are the product. So what, what Robinhood are doing is they actually sell all that data to Citadel. And often what happens with Citadel is they'll just take the other end of that trade. So, you know, Citadel is betting against these guys on Robinhood. So, you know, without going into these too many conspiracy theories, um, it's, it's, it's just a fact of, it's just a fact of the matter that, you know, Citadel will be taking the other side of these trades because it's very profitable to do, you know, and they have perfect information. But so why do you think the other, so why do you think the other platforms aren't getting nearly as much, actually, are they getting any attention? I mean, it's more because most people do use Robinhood, well, at least on Wall Street bets. As a price team, you know, so. talking about lying all your eggs in one fucking basket, <laughs> Jesus Christ! You're right. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's that's a really good point, man. Like, definitely a lot of the retail traders do like Robinhood, um, and I think there's different types of retail investors. So, you know, a guy like me who's more of a buy and hold investor, like I'm very I'm very boring. You know, I do you know, a few trades a month. Um, fees don't really bother me. Yet if you're a if you're a Wall Street bets guy and you're doing hey, traders. You know, a few trades an hour, well those commissions really add up. So commission free trading is a is a beautiful thing. But I think um, in terms of like preventing trading on on Robinhood, it's not really Robinhood that was making it difficult to trade. It's really the um, the clearinghouses. So the clearinghouse in this case was um, uh, DTCC. So DTCC was the was the big um, big clearinghouse that they raised their margin requirements for trading on certain kind of meme stocks. So like Robin, like uh, what was it? Uh, GameStop. You had AMC. AMC you had AMC, BlackBerry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Basically, BlackBerry. basically anything that was just heavily shorted. So these you know, part-time investors were really jumping on board. They, they got hammered. Um, and like, whilst their, their reason makes sense. And I, I, I think, I mean, personally, I think that per makes perfect sense when you've got that much volatility. Yeah. You, 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 you want to, you, you want to have a, a, some sort of insurance, some sort of safety net. So, you know, uh, put, putting up that, that level of collateral in my, in my opinion, um, when something like doubles in price in two hours, like that makes sense. If they don't, yeah. that's the equivalent of bloody trading cryptocurrencies. You might as well go and trade cryptos. Like, yeah, or or, or gamble, like whatever, same thing, right? Um, but um, I think, uh, I mean, like what I, what I have, a, what I am questioning is similar to what, um, what what Elon Elon Musk actually directly asked um, Vlad uh, or Vlad the stock impaler as he called him that that was hilarious like only Elon will come out and say that sort of shit in <laughs> in, in, in a clubhouse interview that was <laughs> that was pretty good um, but um, what Elon asked was like why didn't he just say that from the beginning you know why why couldn't he have just said that 
and be, yeah. being being clear and transparent with that. And like that goes back to what you were saying before, like there needs to be transparency, not just transparency in the regulation in how like data is presented in how different trades are made known to everyone in public, but also in these in, uh, in incidents, like the CEO of Robin Hood was not legally obligated to be 100% transparent with mm -hmm. his, their reasons. Um, like he was not, he was he, he did, was not legally responsible to completely explain his like uh, Robin Hood side of um, the situation. Why is that? Yeah, so so I guess like you know fundamentally in the business world, it's a pretty safe assumption to to make that people are acting out of self-interest. So I think we just have to think about what are what is Vlad's interests here. So for me, there's really two two things that would be factoring into my calculus. The first is that I'm a tech company that's trying to IPO at some stage in 2021. I don't want my share price to tank. Or like you know, I don't want my potential share price to tank. And this stuff really does not look good on me. So I'm trying to do everything I can to sort of cast myself and my company in the best possible way. So a big part of what a CEO is trying to do is sort of, um, you know, kind of um, alter the perception of corporate governance, you know, really make it seem like, you know, corporate governance is, you know, they're, they're being governed by a very uh, like competent, you know, very uh, sort of conscientious bunch of, um, you know, a bunch of executives, which may or may not be true. I mean, I, I don't know Vlad personally. And then the and guy one... literally looks like uh, Russell Brand in um, Get Him to the Greek. Like the guy has like dark, long fucking hair and this like ghostly pale skin. Anyway. Sure. So, so for legal reasons, he may or may not look like Russell Brand. Um, <laughs> second... The second thing that would be entering into my calculus is that 35% of my revenue actually comes from Citadel. And so I don't want to piss them off. So, you know, like those are my two, those are my two things that I'm. If you know, he's limiting to... trade to keep Citadel happy, mm -hmm. that would be illegal. Yeah. No, no. So I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that that is the case, but I'm saying it's something that would have factored into my yep. um, my calculus. Yep. I'm not saying that Citadel ever told them to limit trading. Yeah. Because uh, frankly, but, I don't know. But what I'm, uh, I mean, I, I've seen the, um, I, I mean, not seen, sorry. I've, I've listened to the Clubhouse interview between him and um, Elon. Have you, have you guys yeah. heard it? No, I haven't. No. Oh, okay. So he actually comes relatively fairly clean with like and in and in detail with what happened. And he was quite honest with what he knows and what he doesn't know. Like Elon even went as far as asking him, Are you in bed with Citadel? And he goes, No, because it's these guys that are forcing me to put up this level of collateral. And it's an absurd amount of collateral. Um, what was it like three bill? Yeah. Yeah. That's yep. definitely the right ballpark. Like he he was asked, Robin Hood was asked to put up three billion. Mm -hmm. 
Um, according to him, and now I don't know if you uh, if you if you look in like oh no, but he hasn't had an IPO, so he's not they're, they're not even publicly listed. Hey, no. So like if you know if there was an investigation, so this is where what the SEC might come in. Yeah, definitely. Right, they they might be able to confirm that, but he's saying the entire company in its existence has only raised a bit over two billion dollars. Where on earth mm -hmm. are they going to fucking? find three billion dollars to put up as collateral yeah just just to trade gme and like the the the, the handful of meme stocks that's like that's what he was saying and he was really upfront and honest about it um i so what i mean is why couldn't have he have been that honest from the beginning like on cnbc he attempted to explain the situation but then when the direct question was asked of him does Robin Hood have a liquidity issue? He said no. Like that that's the part. That's the part I don't understand. Why was he that reluctant to be honest and go, yes, we could not put up three billion dollars? Sure. So I think you I think we, we have to think about this not just from the not just from the GameStop um, perspective, but think about from a company-wide perspective, you know, they're trading many other shares. There may be many people on Robinhood that actually don't care at all about GameStop, but they still have deposits with Robinhood. So to say on air that you have a liquidity problem is essentially, you know, being akin to saying like, well, I've just run out of money. So every, every person is going to say, hey, what about my deposit? And they're going to just pull their money out of Robin Hood. So in this case, the prudent thing to do is to definitely say that they don't have a liquidity problem. And also technically they weren't lying because that um, those capital requirements can't be can't be placed retroactively. You know, it's moot the DTCC was saying moving forward, we're gonna charge you um, you know, hundred percent of whatever the stock price is. So yeah. at the time, Vlad probably didn't have a liquidity problem. Well, see, like in in his like that's what, but that's what I mean by like in his interview with Elon, um, mm -hmm. he was quite clear. He said uh, the collateral he was asked to put up was what was it ten times what what it normally is, right? Robin Hood oh. was asked to put forward ten times more money than what they had been before. And yeah. and so and so the way the way around that was to literally limit trade on these stocks that were causing that spike. Yeah. So so if he explained it like that, I I mean I personally am not I, I wouldn't think that traders who weren't invested in GameStop, uh GameStop, sorry, would care. I think it might have just been like a miscalculation because obviously as CEO, you kind of thought it would be like to say the least impactful thing to his future IPO. And at the time, yeah. maybe for him, what he thought is that if I do come out with this information, it's yeah. might be better if I just keep my mouth shut. Yeah. But now he's got all this bloody bad publicity making him making him and his company yeah. mildly look like a scam to your average show. Well, hindsight is 20. Yeah. So. Like, it, 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 I, I don't know. I mean, I, when I when I watched uh, watched the CNBC interview, I 
first thing that popped into mind was that smells like bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Like so something in there doesn't add up. Yeah. So they're, they're definitely going into damage control. There's no doubt about that. Um, so to, sh to share with you both, um, there's actually some apps that are very popular with, um, you know, people who work for tech companies. There are these sort of invite only apps where only people who work for tech companies, you know, they'll kind of communicate with each other. And, you know, once this hit, of course, everyone was calling out, you know, software engineers and Robin Hood saying, you know, WTF is going on. Like, you guys are a joke. How dare you do this? Because, you know, all the, all the tech bros, they were all really, really long on GME. And there was nothing come out, coming out of any of the mouths of the Robin Hood guys. So I think what that indicates to me is Robin Hood made it abundantly clear to all its employees, like, you can't talk about this. Like, See, the, like the threads, the threads were just dead. Like, everyone was speculating on what the Robin Hood guys would say but none of the Robin Hood guys were coming out to defend That's, the company and I mean, give their side of the story. I mean, that is fucking poor management, and that is poor damage control, in my opinion. Um, like, especially, like, if you fucked up, I would be more understanding about why you are keeping quiet. But if you're being asked to put up more money than your company has ever raised, that isn't poor management. What is poor management is trying to fucking cover that up and making yourself look like a fucking scam like sure but i i think i think one thing that we do have to give um robin hood credit for sam is anything that they say can and will be used against them in court so if the sec if the sec is like looking into this which it's not a question of if but when when um anything that they're saying to the public and not just Vlad, but anyone in Robin Hood, that is going to be used. That is going to be used. And so I can understand why they're being prudent. It's not a, it's not an excuse, but it's definitely an explanation. Fair enough. Fair enough. So it's more like a, just write out, write out this negativity let you know let let our uh let our public image go to shit for the time being and when this meme is over let's try to clear our names then something along those lines something along those lines but put it this way I, I can't see them ipoing this year which is a shame because the ipo market's gone nuts so uh, i guess robert really lost out in this one i mean in saying that though how many wall street bets guys have actually dropped out of using robin hood speaking of which i found a reddit thread hilarious reddit thread it was saying fuck these scammers like robin hood and then and then in the same goddamn comment just come to fidelity of course <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. I think that goes back to what I was saying before, Sam, about having some critical thinking. You know, you definitely don't want to take everything that's said on Reddit at face value, which um, sounds like that's that's what you're doing. So yeah, I'm, I'm, it's probably good to let our listeners know that um, yeah, don't take everything at face value because there's oh no, absolutely don't go to fidelity. I mean, I'm laughing because I think that comment is fucking dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And there's a lot of shills on Reddit, you know, Fidelity would be definitely capitalizing on this situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So he's like speaking of, you know, Robinhood and uh, like you said, they were, so they were aiming to IPO this year. Yeah. They publicly said that they wanted to IPO this year. But, but now in your opinion, that, that ain't happening this year. So, so, so I think there's two competing forces. One is that the IPO market is just insane. You know, like every, every company that is sort of private, but, you know, reasonably mature, they, they, they definitely would be looking at IPOing. Um, you know, the revenue multiples are just insane. You know, they're, they're really beyond anything that we've seen in the market before. It's, um, you know, it's like the dot-com boom all over again. Um, but you know, thing. for Reddit, so, sorry for Robinhood, it doesn't really make sense. Like I, yeah. I don't think they're in a good way. So yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. It's a shame for Robinhood. I and, guess, sorry, sorry. They just gotta like find the right time from the decreasing, well, their reputation building back up over time. And I'm assuming yeah. the market not decreasing. It's like you know, increase for IPOs. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, it's, so would you, would you say, what would your opinion be that the sole reason for not going ahead with their plan to IPO is um, basically this incident, this, uh, this short squeeze incident with uh, uh, GME and uh, AMZ? Oh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. I think, um, I think the thing about these IPOs is there are kind of these meme stocks that are IPOing. So like, you know, a good, a great meme stock might be something like maybe DoorDash in America. So they, they're doing food deliveries. Um, you are know, they competing like, with Uber Eats or something? Sorry? Are they competing with Uber Eats or something like that? Something like that, yeah. So they've never turned a profit. They've never turned a profit in their life. They're making a few billion in revenue, yet their market cap is sixty billion. Like they're a sixty billion dollar company. Hang on, hang on, um, hang on. That sounds like that sounds very familiar. Uh, that sounds, uh, uh, no Tesla. <laughs> I was gonna say Nikola's yeah. a lot worse, but <laughs> uh, never actually turned a profit in their uh, in their operational life so far. <laughs> no, so yeah, so so Tesla's a good example. Um, I think they may have become profitable recently, which is why they got into the S and P five hundred. But Tesla is less about the financials, and it's more about the meme. You know, it's really it's really how the financial market is working at the moment. It's really like meme magic. So meme stocks are things like GME, AMC, Tesla. Um, you know, you want to be in on the memes. Like if Robinhood IPO'd tomorrow, I wouldn't be surprised if Wall Street bets did everything in their power to drive the price into the ground. Yeah, I mean, you know, ever since COVID started, you really see these all these meme stocks. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, so it sounds like, so, so essentially, uh, so in your opinion, Wall Street bets, would have a pretty big influence on how um, the general public behaves in when it comes to investing. Yeah, so I think it's kind of cyclical. Hey, like it's 
is the is is the retail market feeling the way it is because Wall Street bets told them to, or is it like, you know, the Wall Street bets is just a subset of the, you know, retail investor pool, and you know, in reality, it's probably just this self-referential loop of you know, Robinhood referencing the retail market, the retail market ro referencing Robinhood. So this this kind of loop, I think they're sort of very very interlinked i think um you know it's a bit like looking at sort of the meme economy you know most memes come from 4chan and then they you know emerge out onto the normal internet you know that's kind of you know i mean any meme coming out of 4chan kind of makes me uh makes me a little bit uneasy considering the like the characters of 4chan you know? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of nasty things on 4chan, but, you know, there's also a lot of nasty things on Wall Street bets, you know, Wall Street bets, they call themselves, it's like uh, 4chan, but with a Bloomberg terminal. Yeah, yeah, or, or literally retards, they will call themselves retards because it's an uh, anagram for, um, for traders, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, that's probably a pretty apt description for a lot of the, the, the <laughs> wonderful, wonderful gentlemen on, on Wall Street bets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, trade it, not the other. Um, yeah, but uh, but but it's still. I I guess it's still surprising how, um, like a bunch of uh, questionable, bunch of bunch of people with questionable intellectual capabilities, um, can actually have once, that much. Once, but yeah. once again, Sam, um, their intellect probably wouldn't be that far off the inst the analysts at the institutional firms like these guys aren't gods like they're not so smart to the point that they're just you know infallible and all the investment decisions they make is is great i mean look at what happened to melbourne capital they were like you know hedge fund royalty until recently i don't think it's the intelligence that compared the two that's um really different but it's more like the coordination of capital. Like what they've yeah. been able to do with GME is insane, but they have no plan to like do anything. The only thing they talk about is diamond hands, but really like, where is that going to go? I don't even understand where that came from. Like, to be honest, please explain to me what the fuck are diamond hands and where the fuck did that come out of? Paper hands is weak hands. Diamond hands are strong hands to hold. But they're not playing cards. Hold stocks. I mean, yeah, be beautifully put. I mean, yeah. that's kind of how memes. That's kind of how memes work. You know, someone might have said something like, I don't know, like golden hands, like King Midas, and then another one says, Oh, screw, screw gold hands. Why not diamond hands? And yeah. you know, just someone thinks it's funny and they share it, and then it just turns into a meme. I mean, I'm not that old, but like, I feel like I'm really out of fucking touch with this generation. Like, Jesus fucking Christ, if that's a thing. Okay. Oh, honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I, sorry. Yes. Go um, on. back to what I was saying before with hindsight now, knowing that Jimmy has dropped off a lot. Um, if you did have the coordination, uh, the ability to coordinate wall street bets, um, Christian, what do you reckon mm -hmm. would have been their best strategy strategy to possibly, you know, make a win against the people who were betting against them. Yeah, so, yeah that's uh, I mean, really good I mean, the question that I would like to attach to that and possibly mm -hmm. ask even before that was given 
given the distribution of shares, was it even possible? Is it even actually possible for these Wall Street bets guys to have a, not a win, but the win that they keep looking for? So just to be clear, when you say the win that they're looking for, exactly what would you characterize as that win? Um, a lot of crushing. Uh, yeah, Wall crushing Street. Wall Street. Like the, a lot of their reasons to keep holding, even though it's crashed to below a hundred, is no, hold the line. We will beat them. I mean, like, what? Who was it that said that? Oh man, I can't remember now. But um, some guy was like, "This is for 2008." Like, no, yeah, yeah, sell. things like that. But also, also things like. Uh, oh yeah, we can we can hold for longer than than they can so stay solvent. Like the mm -hmm. fuck, like that's the sort of win that they're looking for. But given like given given the reality of the situation, like was it at all possible for these retail investors to have that win? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great question. So I think. Um, when you invest in these meme stocks, as with everything in investing, it really is about trade. It, sorry, it really is about timing. So, you know, if you were one of the first readers of DFV's post, you know, late last year, and you were, you know, you jumped in on it at four bucks, um, you know, you'd still be, you'd still be in a really, really good position today. <laughs> like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that the stocks are, you know, maybe I think it's around 90 bucks, you know, in the $90 range. Like 90, that's 92, great, 92. Hmm. So if you bought it four bucks, like you're still doing really, really well. You're, you're extremely happy. If you're the guy who, you know, if you're the, if you're the 10th guy who jumped in on the GME short squeeze, you're in a great position. If you're the 10 millionth guy to jump in on the GMB short squeeze, I mean, it's just, it's just too late. Like, you, you know, you just, you know, the it's timing the party, is mate. exactly, exactly. And I think, um, I think a lot of investing is, you know, you got to have realistic expectations, you know, is some people are throwing ridiculous claims out like, Oh, it's going to hit, um, you know, it's going to hit 10,000. Um, you know, these kinds of claims really have no basis in reality. There's just no way that, GameStop is going to hit a um, hundred, like, you know, $10,000. Um, I think people have to understand that they need something as unregulated as Bitcoin to do that. I think. Yeah. 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 So, so the thing is you, you've got an, you've got a big institution like called the SEC and they're doing everything they can to sort of create like a, you know, kind of a safe and predict, maybe not predictable, but, you know, sort of a, like very safe and not such a volatile industry, like investing in such a volatile um, market, it's not, it's not easy and it harms everyone. Like it harms the retail guys just as much as it harms these large institutional investors. So it's definitely yeah. the role of the SEC to kind yeah. of keep people safe and yeah. not but realistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah, finish. Yeah, keep Yeah, is it, is it realistic to, you know, assume when GameStop was sort of in the $400 range for it to sort of moon to the $10,000 ranges? It's just not really how things work. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think like overall, yeah, like 
you you may, you raise a good point there that there were there were always going to at some point be regulations coming in to like stabilize that. Um, yeah. But I think the win that they're talking about is not so much, and it's not even like say what the example you raised before, um, the tenth guy that bought in after um, reading uh, DFE's um, um, uh, analysis. Um, it's uh, and 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 making making a killing off you know buying in at four and selling at 400. Like that's, I don't think that's the win that they're looking for. Like a lot of them, a lot of them um, for a while now have been talking about the kind of wins that's like hold until these guys literally go broke. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just not sure if that was ever going to be a realistic outcome. As in like, I'm, I'm not sure if a small group of retail investors were ever going to have that sway on the market to completely dry up supply of sh stocks enough to force a bunch of short sellers to keep positions open because they could they can't get their hands on stocks to close their positions like i i i can't imagine that that's a thing i'm not sure about your opinions hmm. it's a good it's a it's a really interesting point because we, it really does beg the question, like, what is the role of the regulators in the market or, you know, take clearinghouses, like, what is the role of a, what is the role of a clearinghouse, you know, they clearly had a hand in sort of diffusing, diffusing this situation, you know, was it sort of prudent for them to raise the deposit requirements, I, I actually applaud the DTCC for doing this, I think it was a good move. Um, in terms of, you know, in terms of like the market should, you know, should the consequences of a bad trade be total, you know, sort of total demolition, you know, you're, you know, like just total bankruptcy. I think there's definitely an element of personal responsibility, you know, like if you, if you're, if you're short, if you're shorting the market so aggressively, you know, like let's face it, like Melbourne Capital got caught with their pants down um you know this was embarrassing for them they shouldn't have been doing that they know they shouldn't have been doing that and they definitely you know they how definitely um so, sorry how much money did they lose i if i remember correctly i think they lost about six billion us yeah i read something like eight billion but would have been somewhere around there look this up. yeah so, so I think just to put things into context, I think that's probably about half the money they have. Oh, that's insane. Yeah. So, so they definitely got hurt by this. Like they really did get hurt by this. But I think what the SEC needs to figure out is like, what should the consequences of a bad decision be? Should it be that like, you know, you're, you're bankrupted or should it be that you, you know, you sort of lose money and then you you get, um, you know, you, you should have some sort of exit opportunity. Cause yeah, what Wall right. Street... they, sorry, sorry. They lost, they lost about 53% of their Okay. Yeah. So about half yeah. their money. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, I think the, the regulators really need to decide like kind of what is, ex what is acceptable in the market and should Wall Street bets going broke? Is that kind of an acceptable outcome? I don't really think so. And I think kind of, that's sort of a lose-lose situation for everyone. 
Uh, sorry, sorry, just uh, just just revisiting Melbourne Capital. Um, so what Linko said, the eight bill, it's more eight yep. billion in assets that's under management. Oh, okay, yep. Yeah, so it's not that they lost that much money, but it's just yeah, yeah. They they have to kind of. I'm pretty sure they basically need to hand over management. It's I'm guessing this is borderline borderline declaring insolvency if they have to hand assets over like from uh, under under management. I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly what their position is. Like I know they're yeah. getting um like they are getting money from say like Citadel gave them about three like almost three billion so. Yeah, yeah, I'm not exactly sure on their situation now. Yeah, I think right. it's still quite a fluid situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what you raised before was, and, and you say you applaud like DTCC for um, uh, raising the margins. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, I don't think they did it out of the kindness of their hearts. I'm pretty sure, it, but based on what I can see and what I know, it feels more like they did it to cover their asses because of the oh, volatility. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It was it, it was self-serving. There was I, I can't see a um, like yeah I, I I can't see a public service component to that. But uh, I guess the benefit to the overall market was more a byproduct, a um, um, a, a byproduct of their uh, uh, of that move. But it was not the focus. It was not the aim. The aim was to just make sure that they reduce their risk in that. Sure, but I think, I think in all fairness, like these clearinghouses can act out of self-interest, and that can still lead to a good outcome. Yeah. Like I would see what happened in this situation as a pretty good outcome. I don't think that. Sorry. I yeah, I don't think like GFC two point would have been a good outcome from this situation. Like I no. think. Melvin, you know, they lost their shirt. A few other guys lost their shirts too. But, you know, at the end of the day, the market bounced back and, you know, everyone's happy. So I, I do view this as a good outcome. And the retail yep. guys definitely won here. Unless, yep. you know, you're the 10 millionth guy who, you know, read about the short squeeze and you jumped in too late. I mean, that, that, that's sad. But, you know, as the Wall Street Bets guys say, we're not doing this for the short squeeze. We're doing this because we like the stock. So if you like the stock, just hold the stock. Like there's no, there's what the no hell problem. is it to like about a company that is sticking by its outdated goddamn business model? Like I don't understand. Sam, you, I think you're looking for rationality where there is none. You know, like this is the power of memes. Yeah. I think you're getting a bit too old for Wall Street bets, man. But like, I don't understand. No, you got fucking, what's his fucking face? Um, uh jordan 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 um Belford? yes like he okay what was his reason like why was he jailed back in the day oh i can't i can't remember i mean i've even watched the wall street wolf of wall street movie i think some sort of securities fraud basically running a scam yeah yeah, like yeah. basically pushing out these it, like these like financial um products, these investment products, um, talking it up and selling it to your fucking grandmas basically who didn't understand shit. Yeah. Running, Aronine, Aronine. yes, yeah, and mm -hmm. right now plastered up like pinned 
to the top of his YouTube page is him reenacting that scene in Wall Street Bets where he's like hyping up his like team of investors on his floor about like how like, you know, they've got to fucking, you know, hold the fucking line. That's but, the scene mm-hmm. for Steve Madden's IPO. Right, yeah. right, 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 right. But, but get this, he's changing like bits of it so that he's directing it at, at the Wall Street Bets guy, essentially trying to hype them up to hold the fucking line when your share price, when, when, when GME has dropped, as GME is dropping from 400 down to 90, he is still saying that. Like, is he trying to go to jail for a second time? Like, is that what it is? No, I think, I think what, um, what Jordan realizes that you don't seem to be realizing is the power of meme magic. Like, I think, I think Jordan's just enjoying his sort of, you know, you know, five minutes in the limelight. You know, he's become very relevant again in the media (laughs) all this stuff i mean you know the average um you know the average person on the street probably doesn't know that much about the finance market so you know who else are they going to go to for advice other than the wolf of wall street yeah uh who then gives really fucking terrible advice yeah i mean he's kind of done that his whole life hasn't he (laughs) well i mean kind of made a career out of giving bad advice True, true. I mean, like, he does it once, he gets jailed once. It could be like, you know what, like, that was just a bad decision at that point. But when he's doing it again and again, and now here's my question, though. What he is posting up on YouTube like that, um, Mm -hmm. now, I can't remember if in the comment he wrote a disclaimer or not, but under the the assumption that he didn't write a disclaimer saying that this is not financial advice, can he be held liable? Yeah, that, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I think, in all seriousness, when it comes when it comes to the SEC um, sort of targeting targeting people, they do have they do have a set of criteria that they look for when when um, when they're investigating what's commonly known as like a pump and dump scheme. So you know, if Jordan is sort of pumping the stock up, you know, he already owns GME stock, he's trying to pump it up so that he can dump it at a higher price, then definitely the SEC wouldn't take too kindly to that. If he's just, you know, kind of having a laugh and he, you know, he just, you know, he's just enjoying the fame and he's just, you know, reveling in the whole experience, that's definitely covered under freedom of speech. You know, like in America, they do, you know, they do have that right. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with what he's doing. If it's found that he has some sort of ulterior motive and he was profiteering of that, then I think, yeah, probably the SEC wouldn't take too kindly. So I think the devil's really in the detail here. Yeah. But would he be considered as someone that is in a position to give financial advice and therefore be held liable or to the same standard as financial advisors, essentially? Yeah, so so I think definitely in Australia, um, the, you know, this whole issue of financial advice is a pretty serious thing. You know, like ASIC regulates this pretty heavily. So, you know, goes without saying that nothing that we're saying tonight is financial advice. But I think yeah, there's a disclaimer right there. Don't don't oh, okay. don't take us seriously. Yeah, don't don't take anything we say seriously. But um yeah, I think in America it's probably a little bit different. You know, they do have um you know, they do have that First Amendment protection. Like And so, so it's a lot more unregulated in that regard. Or it can be a lot more unregulated. 
Yeah, as in financial markets are very well regulated, but free speech is not, you know, yep. free speech is regulated. To Sorry? It's a lot more lenient that you can appeal to the First Amendment. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But also, I wanted to add that this idea of like pump and dump, I feel like is a very recurring theme on Reddit, whether the research behind of like certain stocks is solid or not. Um, it comes with this mentality that everyone on Reddit can win. And like, if you just yeah. keep holding and buying, then you can win. But most of the time, it's only a few. Is that a fair scheme? Yeah, it, most of the time, of like small stops, not GME or something, but it will be the first ones that get in and pump it and they will be laughing. And the first ones that get the fuck out. And it's, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, it's something I've turn, you know, turn noticed a few times over. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like speaking of which, like Jordan Belford, he's uh, in an interview, I can't remember who with now, um, he literally said, well, I mean, this is the modern day pump and dump. He literally called this the modern day pump and dump. Um, now, in terms of a pump and dump, like, I mean, is that is that illegal? Yeah. So you know, the the sort of the technical term for it is clearly not a pump and dump, but is it illegal? So, so the SEC has kind of a four part four part test. So they do, you know, there is legal precedent here in, and you know, without boring our listeners into exactly, you know, sort of all the nuances of that four part test. I think one of the main um, main predicates for the you know the classic pump and dump is um, that the 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 accuser tends to sort of specifically create a price level that isn't based on what do they call it? It doesn't it's, it doesn't reflect legitimate forces of supply and demand. So what I yeah. mean by that is, let's say I was to go. Um, Hey, hey guys, GME is a great company to invest in because if you look at sort of the ratio of their revenue to their share price, you know, um, you know, it's a good, it's a good buy. You know, that maybe they're paying out, um, you know, pretty healthy dividends. You know, the the you know the dividends in like the ratio of the dividends to the share price is you know it's a really good dividend rate, and it's just you know it's just an all round good buy. There's absolutely nothing wrong with me saying that, you know, like that's based on sort of, you know, sound, sound analysis, like there, there's fundamentals supporting what I'm saying. If I'm kind of trying to create these, these meme stocks just so I can, you know, sort of artificially boost, boost the value of a share, um, the SEC kind of takes a dim view of that. And of course there's nuance here and what I'm like, you know, any, anyone listening would pretty it's pretty pretty clear to see that there's a spectrum so in terms of sort of exactly where along the spectrum are things sort of not okay um i think that's really complicated and i guess that's the role of the sec to sort of determine like exactly where that line is yeah and it's um yeah so it, it is complicated because you do you are proving intent you are showing that this person intended to move yep. the share price level yeah. that wasn't based on well, yeah, um, it's, it sounds like uh, one of the key, uh, I guess, um, key criteria is that what they're saying was one, not true, and they have to show that um, whoever was spreading this misinformation, like, knowingly did so. Um, 
and then couple that with the fact that they have financial interest in moving the share price in the way that their misinformation affected was able to affect the share price then that so so actually the the funny thing about a pump and dump is that you don't even need to prove that there was financial gain it's really just that there was an intention to move the market that 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 movement of the market wasn't due to any sort of fundamentals you know it was a very artificial movement um to basically lie about it um sure or you know you could i don't know lie or lie to omission or you know do something not nice there needs to be an actual price movement and that that price movement was due to like artificial reasons like that's kind of the four part test that the sec would be yeah, would be right. applying so you don't even need to profiteer off this Yep. Oh, well, yes. You were going to yeah. say that. Uh, I was going to ask, like, when it comes to prosecution, when it comes to like um, prosecuting someone like Jordan Belfort, it would be very easy because there's only one of him, and he was a very big yeah. player. When it comes to someone like Wall Street bets, it's a bunch of little guys all helping each mm -hmm. other sometimes pump and dump a certain stock. So how would like someone like the SEC even look at prosecuting people like this? Because there's tons of them, and a lot yeah, of them, that's, like the more the more recent ones, seem to just be repeating the same fucking narrative that they picked mm -hmm. up from a month ago. So yeah, it's almost like, like it's almost like they didn't do their own work, was fed a story, lapped it up, and is now botting it up and re regurgitating it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then, then in which case, like, can they can they be prosecuted? Um. Yeah. So I think sort of like the the main the main predicate like the main predicate here is this this intention. You know, proving that the person wanted to create a price level that was artificial. So. You, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to prove that the person didn't believe what they were saying. I think especially for like a, a retail investor who probably isn't that sophisticated, you know, if you're just sort of like regurgitating, you know, recycled memes on Wall Street bets, um, you know, you're really not that sophisticated a, a, like of an investor. Um, so it's kind of hard to prove intent there. You know, if you're sort of a professional with a lot of experience and you kind of know what you know you sort of know like what the financial reality of the market is versus what is just sort of pure fantasy you know if you're a very seasoned analyst and you're saying oh i think that ten thousand dollars is a very very sensible price target for gme that's very different from just you know some some um you know, some genius on Wall Street that's gone, oh, bro, I reckon the price is going to be 10K, you know, by no, next week. Like I mean, I mean, it's more complex than someone just sprouting something. It's on top of that, they are, like, whatever they're sprouting, they, they, they are saying it with a high degree of confidence in that they are, they, they are hyping up yeah. their own ability to analyze the markets. So it's almost like whilst they're saying a lot of this, essentially bullshit um they are at the same time going it's not bullshit because i know what i'm doing and i know what i'm talking about so then when it comes to an investigation 
wouldn't they have to also take those comments seriously and treat these individuals as people who know what they're talking about? Um, yeah, I think, I, I mean, we're kind of touching on like the Dunning-Kruger effect here, you know, like yeah. people who have sort of no skill in investing, they, they tend to be very, very confident and very sure of their own predictions. Um, I, th I think what we are seeing here is this is very unique. Um, I don't know how many like situations I've seen like this before. So sort of how, like how the SEC is gonna approach this, I think it's gonna be really, really interesting. Um, I, think, I think the SEC probably like, you know, takes a view that they wanna protect investors. So I think kind of going after idiots who, you know, frankly just have no idea what they're doing. I don't know if that'll really be in the SEC's best interest. And I think also from a pragmatic point of view, um, you know, the, you know, the, the, the 18 year old who lives in his bum's basement and he, you know, sort of like yeet, yeeted like, you know, a thousand bucks, which, you know, probably like more than his life savings, maybe he had to borrow some money off his grandma to, you know, get back at, you know, get back at the big banks, um, you know, sort of, is he like a prime suspect in the SEC's investigation? Probably, probably not. Yeah, probably wouldn't think so. And also, can the SEC differentiate rationale to, as you say, mean magic on on Wall Street bets? You know. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. But someone like but someone like DFV, would he, could he, be up for investigation after after Robin Hood? Like, I'm, I am assuming when investigations kick in, Robin Hood mm -hmm. Robin Hood is the first one that gets handed a notice. Yeah, but, but someone like DFV. Yeah, they'd also be looking into DFV. So I think based on what I read about DFV, I think what DFV said was very prudent. Like all his analysis was really good, really grounded in reality. It's not, you know, it's, you know, like maybe he doesn't talk as professionally as like a, as a hedge fund analyst, but I think sort of the depth and the quality of his research was just as good as what you'd expect from one of the one of the hedge fund guys. And I think, um, I think you know, he's he's. I don't really view what he was doing as sort of you know sort of wrong. Like he did his analysis, he showed it. You know, he showed it to the rest of Wall Street bets. They all made their their decisions based on that. I don't really view him as kind of the instigator of this this whole thing besides sort of doing the initial analysis and jumping on the train early so in my opinion oh, no, I mean, no, no. i've seen i've seen uh various posts uh that he's made more recently screenshots of like snippets of his profile um especially mm -hmm. when the prices started crashing he was posting up screenshots trying to encourage people to hold mm, yeah um he I definitely did that um I think like, so what I haven't looked at in depth was his initial analysis all the way from mid last year, I think it was. Um, and I guess one of the interesting things that I, that, that I would want to know, uh, I mean, did you go through it? Did you to go through his initial analysis all the way from mid last year? No, but I like briefly got the idea of it. Yeah. What, like, what did he, like, I'd like to know exactly what aspects he looked at because for something like like it go, I guess it goes back to my opinion of how big of an impact could these retail investors possibly have had 
when you have these big institutions that were holding what is it like close to half like owning owning close to half of GameStop so did he take that into like did he factor that in when he went hey guys we can have some sort of massive effect on on short sellers let's let's do this like did he take that into effect I'm um, sorry uh, take that into account in in um in in the way he presented his findings so you mean like did he know that the Wall Street bets would be able to pull off a short squeeze. Um, I think the answer is absolutely he he did because his his kind of game plan um, relied on the fact that they would be able to do a short squeeze. And I think sort of in terms of percentages, you do have to remember that um, you know with leverage, like most of these guys, you know, once again they're not just buying a stock. You know, they're buying a lot of these exotic financial instruments that allow them to leverage, leverage themselves to all hell yeah yeah but i guess uh like i guess it's one thing to try to trigger a short squeeze but mm -hmm. to follow it up where the squeeze was basically peaking and yeah. to keep telling wall street bets to hold um mm -hmm. Did he understand, did he know, did he actually think about the fact that what was causing the crash was not, uh, was not the lack of retail interest? I guess what you're trying to say here is if he was so accurate at calculating before all of this happened, then how could he have imagined it crashing like this? Like now? Yeah when everyone hasn't pulled out and it's not them pulling out, like it's clear that it's not them pulling out. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. So I think his initial analysis was based on a report published by Citron Capital. So yep. Citron Capital, one of sorry, the early Sorry, guys. sorry, just on a uh, side side note uh, before I forget, Citron Capital, is that the, is that the guy, is that the company with the, the institution with the CEO who, likes to go on Twitter and uh, uh, make very public discussions about their, their different companies that they're shorting? That got death threats? Was that, is that the company? I'm not super sure. I'm not really in the Twitterverse, but I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if that was him. They're very upfront about what companies they're shorting. Yeah, so one of one of the uh, investment bank. Yeah, Andrew left. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is, it is. Yeah, yeah. All right, yes, go on. I, I have something. Yeah, I, I something interesting to talk about regarding Andrew after this. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. But yeah, just just briefly. Um. So DFV's initial analysis was based on that Citron report. Like they released pretty high quality, like high quality financial analysis, and then DFV sort of did his work upon upon that basis. So I think probably what I would say is last year, DFV was operating on much better information than he has now. You know, like Citron was just very upfront about, you know, re releasing their data, but now that it's, um, you know, now so that everyone's been caught with their pants down, now they're, no one's gonna be sharing information saying, oh, please don't hold. If you keep holding, we're gonna go bust. But so, so, okay, so saying that, what does, what possible benefit does it bring Citron to share that kind of research data, that kind of market data? Sure. So, so, so I think there's two 
I think there's two things here. So one is that, um, you know, firms might be selling this um, analysis, like, you know, these, these analyses that they do, these are done by their internal analysts, but, you know, once the, once the analysis has been done, you can generate extra revenue by selling it. And I think another thing is you can also influence markets. So if you do some analysis and you get into your positions on the basis of this analysis and then you sell it on the market, you know, other people might say like, oh, Citron Capital is shorting the market. I should also get in on this short. So that's, those are kind of the two main reasons why firms would be sharing the, the information. But if they're shorting the market, they would need buyers, correct? Yeah, but I, I mean, at some level, there kind of will always be liquidity in the market unless there's these black swan events like this. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, so about Andrew Lepp, so uh, uh, was it CEO, CEO of um, Citron, uh, Citron Capital? Um, essentially, um, why, so for a institution, so you guys were saying before, pump and dumps, uh, individuals who not only spread information to influence the market artificially, um, especially when they have financial interests involved, uh, they, they are going, they're going to get smacked by the SEC if they ever get investigated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then someone like Andrew Left, who is the, let me look, let me look, let me look. Um, so he's, oh, he's not the CEO, sorry. He's just the, just a bloke that works there. Yeah, he's just a bloke that works there. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, he's just a short seller. Sorry, sorry about that. Um, so okay. uh, um, he is quite prominent on Twitter and just basically various social media platforms um, that uh, deliberately talk down the uh, performance of GameStop leading up to this. Yep. Now, could that possibly be seen as um, artificially influencing the market? Hmm. I think that's a really tricky question. I think, um, you, you know, like is GameStop a good company? I think it's just a matter of opinion. No, I, th I think it really is a matter of opinion. You know, like is GameStop a good buy at $500? Um, I don't know, is GameStop a good buy at four bucks? I think, you know, for, to a value investor, um, I mean, don't forget that, you know, you're having a conversation with someone that was buying cruise ships during COVID. Like I am very much a value investor. I don't, I don't shy away from those kinds of investments. Um, you know, so is GameStop a good buy at four bucks? I think it just, it, it is really subjective. So, you know, this, this guy from Citron, is he kind of entitled to have his own um, take on the value proposition of, of GameStop? I, I think he is, you know, I think he is. And I think, you know, Even sort though of he has like a heavy yeah. amount of financial interest in, in there. Yeah, so as in it is yeah. in his best interest for that stock to come down. 
yet yeah, he's allowed to publicly make these comments that may cause the stock to come down. Yeah, yeah. So he he is he is like if he thinks that the the fundamentals are on his side, then absolutely, you know, like there's nothing wrong with what he's doing. Just the same as as me, like you know, I own. Um, you know, I own shares in, you know, like uh, a lot of the cruise ships, like, you know, I own shares in Carnival. Um, it's in my best interest for those shares to keep rising. Would I advise people to, you know, would I, would I, would I be in favor of, you know, Carnival cruise ships? I'd say that I think it's a good buy at this price. You know, I think there's, you know, I think it could easily like, you know, it's definitely got room to grow. It could easily double in price. Have I just, you know, have I just committed some, financial crime. No, I think the fundamentals are on my side. I think once COVID's over, I think the cruise ship market will recover and, you know, anyone who invests will see good returns. Just the same as say with GameStop, do I think GameStop would have been a good buy at four bucks? I'd say, you know, once the pandemic's over, you know, the price would, the price would rise. So irrespective of whether or not I own GameStop shares, I'm still within my legal rights to, to do that. And please remember that the SEC looking into these pump and dumps, it doesn't matter if you have a financial interest. All that matters so, is that I, you... I, yeah, I guess, I guess what surprises me is that, like, the existence of a financial interest in that yeah. does actually holds no sway, oh, like, it, it's not, is not considered um, or has no weight like that. I, I, I don't... No, I don't... It definitely could be considered, man. And the reason why it could be considered is it could be used to prove intent. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so yeah, it, I mean, it would be a bit absurd if like you just looked at what the person said and you completely ignored all other. Context. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's what I mean by like when, when I, when I mentioned that he has um financial interests is like, it's almost a hundred percent certain that if they believe there was wrongdoing, then that is enough to say, to, to, to pin intent, right? Um, yeah, so, so I guess my point here is owning stock in, you know, like owning stock or owning a position, you know, whether it be a short or a long position in a company and saying things that are in your best interest, it's not sufficient to prove um, wrongdoing. You know, to prove wrong yeah, there, there would need to be extra stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess in my, well, I guess uh, in, in my opinion, it's more so that conflict of interest that exists. And Yeah, there's absolutely it, a conflict of interest here. Yeah, and now whilst I know that currently, um, there are no regulations against that, mm -hmm. hence why guys like Andrew Left can come out and, you know, yab on all he wants about yep. the decrease in GameStop shares um, or DFB can, you know, go go and band together with his, with his autists and, you know, cr you know sing songs about dying pants. Um, mm -hmm. Whilst there are no regulations against that kind of bullshit, I guess, like, hypothetically speaking, or like, you know, looking into the future, what I, now, most people might cry, get the fuck out of here, Sam, like, that means more regulation. We don't want regulation, but they should. To, to, to avoid to, to avoid conflicts of interest to avoid you know potential scamming essentially hmm I think 
I don't I think, I that's don't a think you could even um, do that because like when it comes to more regulation, it's just a lot of blurry lines that you're going to have to you know, make out of nothing. Well, it's more like you have a financial interest in something. Don't bloody talk about it. I mean, if I like a company, then I would talk with it. And I don't think that the SEC or someone should be able to come in and um, take that away. But when it comes to like something like, like the Wolf of Wall Street, where you're selling like garage companies and talking them up as if they're the new latest tech, then that's obviously a different question. Um, and when it comes to these Wall Street bets, like I think it might have to do more on like their research and their backing. And then only when it comes to the intent and conflict of interest, um, then that can be used to further prove it. That, yeah, leaves, I that leaves a I huge, huge like chunk of gray area for them to venture in. Like no, so so what I would propose is I would propose more transparency in the market. So let's say I'm a large institution and I'm just constantly yammering on about how great Carnival is as a company. So Carnival is one of the world's largest cruise ship. Um, companies if i'm constantly yammering on about how great carnival is and you and better fucking be holding a butt ton of their shares no but what i'm saying is if it was transparent if the market knew that not only did i love the share price i was constantly talking up but this was my position on carnival i think then people can do their due diligence you know they can you know they can look at what i'm saying they can look at the fundamentals and they can arrive at their own decision i think what's really important here is it's illogical to think that just because someone just because it's in someone's best interest that they're automatically wrong or that there's automatically some some wrongdoing you know it's kind of like an ad hominem like i can both own a position and both be right about the fundamentals being good like both those things can be true oh no no i i get that but i i think it was uh, i mean i don't mean that like people talking about it automatically equals wrongdoing, but I think for ease of um, uh, ease of implementation and I guess um, uh, uh, um, uh, policing of, of this, a very easy, uh, in my opinion, a very easy regulation would be, you wanna fucking trade, then don't fucking talk it up in public. Don't, not talk it up, but like just don't talk about it in public. like. Don't do any, don't, don't, don't conduct yourself in such a way that could potentially influence the market. I feel as well at the same time, the stock market is basically good investors versus bad investors. And if they were given like the same amount of information, then it should be fair game. Like if you aren't able not. to read economics. Yeah. So that's what I, I'm agreeing with Cushion is that. If it was a fair game and the information was out there, then if you do make a dumb decision, it should be on you that you lose. Oh, time. yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. but I mean, which one's easier to police? Like making sure all your big institutions are releasing all their, all, all, all their data as they should or telling them to shut the fuck up? Hmm. No, but I, think the, I think the problem here is that there is no obligation like institutions like Citron and Melvin can get away with this kind of BS. Like, let's, let's be very clear. Like these naked short sellers, these aggressive short sellers, 
are in the wrong here. This problem was created by them. They're the ones that instigated this whole storm. I so mean, if they like, didn't you know, pull the short interest all the way to those sorts of percentages, then, you know, it wouldn't be so bad. That, exactly, exactly. So like that's number one is they were in the wrong here. And what, what I'd argue is that had, was there some transparency requirements, these things could have never happened. Like Melvin knew that they could get away with this because there is no transparency requirements. They know they can get away with this nonsense because Melvin's made a, they've made a career out of doing this. So if there was greater transparency requirements, they know they'd never get away with it because once you short the market by 140%, you get slaughtered by every other fund because they'll short squeeze you, which is exactly what we saw here. So Citron's solution to this problem is we're going to stop publishing our research. You know what I mean? I mean, as if they were shorting at 140% when it was $4 anyways. Like, it wasn't. Oh, it was like 120 and then, oh, yeah, goodness. Like it, it, uh, leading up to up leading up to the short squeeze, it went up by about forty percent. Yeah, yeah, it, so, it was ridiculous. So to be to be clear, like um, like all these aggressive short sellers were trying to bankrupt the business. Like they were taking advantage of the COVID yep. situation, and they were yep. bankrupt. They were trying to bankrupt GameStop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, that they will have a net win. Yep. Yeah, they, and they almost succeeded. So if GameStop was bankrupt, it wouldn't have mattered that there wasn't, you know, enough shares in the market to cover their positions I mean, because the company doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like with any other kind of asset, you don't see some, something like short selling occurring. And when I say asset, I mean like ta hard, tangible asset, like land and stuff, land, house, vehicle, something like that, like... Once you get into like financial assets and all of a sudden all kinds of wacky, like interdimensional bullshit springs up in the way you can sell what is literally one vote in a company. Like it is, in my opinion, fucking insane that that exists for basically this one asset. I mean, and I agree, which is why I'm just as excited as you are about the financial industry. <laughs> like, 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 you know, the, the, the whole, like, I guess like the whole principle behind short selling. Um, and uh, there, I, I think Lingo asked me a question um, a couple of days ago uh, or brought up the question like, what, like how, not how, but more so like, why is that, why is such a thing even allowed it's like you don't own that asset yet you are allowed to borrow and sell that asset mm -hmm. yeah so so i think the important thing to just to give our listeners um, some context as to why futures exist at all it's it's really ironic because kind of the whole purpose of a future is actually to sort of um lower your risk you know to be you know, to, to be, you know, to create like a um, kind of a safety net. It, it can act like an insurance product to actually protect you from, from something. So let, let me give you an example of how I might be entering the futures market. Let's say as an employee of Grab, 
I'm not allowed to sell for six months after they, after they IPO. So let's say the price just skyrockets at IPO date and I'm worried that the price is gonna fall down. If I was to buy a, um, if I was to buy a put option at the peak of the market, I'm basically protect, protected from any, from any falls in the market. You know, yep. I'm safe because I own shares. I own shares. So any loss, any loss in my put option will be counteracted by the value of my shares. But any drop in the share price, I'll be covered, you know, I'll be covered between the difference of my entry and my my put. So in that case, my that put option actually becomes like an insurance product against, you know, any declines in this, the value of this asset that I own. So for most people using options, I'd imagine that they'd be trade that they'd be used for this purpose. It's actually from by protecting yourself from from mm. adverse price mm. movements. It's like an insurance policy on a on a car, you know, if something bad happens, you get a payout. So, you know, you're indemnified. So it means but like obviously you can't... Not what's going on when you have aggressive short selling. But short selling isn't like an option like that. But short selling is almost not like a futures contract like that, though. No. Short selling no, is so so if I buy a put option, I'm actually betting that the share price of my company will fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the underlying uh, mechanism behind a put option is nowhere near the same as um, a short seller, a, a short sale, right? Yeah, I could use exactly the same methodology to to cover myself from a fall in my company price. Yeah, but ultimately, your initial the initial issue of a put option, there is no exchange of shares. Correct. Sure, but what I'm saying is I could use a short to protect myself in exactly the same yeah. way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, of course, of course. But I think what is confusing, I guess, well, not confusing, but like questionable right now is like, say, imagine, imagine like short selling was allowed in the housing market. Mm -hmm. I borrow your property. I borrow your apartment in Singapore. I sell it to someone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So whose name is on that, on, on that deed? So, so sure, sure. I mean, I, I, I get what, I get what you're saying, but, um, so, I mean, you're right. You're right that these are pretty esoteric. Um, like these are pretty esoteric products. Like these are weird products that, you know, aren't very analogous to things that you'd experience in the real world, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything wrong with them. You know, I'd say it's more how you use them that makes them wrong rather than them being wrong because they're quite bizarre. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I think in a free and open market, like rightly or wrongly, people kind of are allowed to do these kinds of things. Like, let's say there was a free, you know, the housing market is a free market. Like what you're proposing is weird, but it's not necessarily wrong because it's weird or uncommon. Like we can write up a contract. It's you know, very, it would allow you to short so. It's very hard to like actually visualize what's going on, but I understand like when it's like a fair um, market, then short mm -hmm. selling would be a good way to, you know, keep companies in check as well. Like, yeah, so, definitely. You know, like if you do underperform, then we're going to profit off of it. 
But when it comes to yeah. something like what Melbourne was doing, that's like just taking it to the next level, trying to tank them. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's actually such a good point, man. It's a really like, basically what you're saying is this is a really important part of the price discovery mechanism. So the thing is like stock shouldn't always go up. We shouldn't only allow buying. We should allow selling. We should be allowed to sell to sell stocks because some companies are dogs. Some companies rightly should go bankrupt. Like imagine, um, imagine like Enron, there's some massive accounting scandal. You should be able to bankrupt that company. That's not a company that right. you should, you should own shares in. But, but I think, I guess like my standpoint is if you're going to sell, Mm-hmm. And you should also own that asset to sell in the first place. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Why is that? Because I think that, I mean, yeah, once again, I think it is like an important part of the price discovery process. The ability to, the ability to short a company is, is, um, like it's important. It, that's how markets find their their proper price. So when prices need to fall, um, you know, short selling is kind of what allows that to happen. And I think that's a good that's a good mechanism to have. Wouldn't, not aggressively doing it, not naked shorting one hundred forty percent of the market, but I, you know, I think it's important that we can buy and sell. But wouldn't um, wouldn't that companies existing shareholders selling also do the same without the existence of short sellers? Um, like, yeah, like most, may, like maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. Like Fair it's enough. not, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to say because we don't really have many markets where there's no short selling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get that. I'm, and and I'm, I'm guessing like, um, I'm just proposing like a hypothetical in, in that, mm. like, I'm, I'm questioning whether um, the existence of short selling is, uh, it, it's one, necessary, um, yeah. and two, is it, is it necessary and bringing in enough benefits to outweigh all of these well, in this example, Melbourne, you know, Melbourne and, and their like shady bullshit, like these sorts of like, uh, the, these sorts of shady, shady activity that it opens up, like these doors that it opens up, you know, like, is it, is it worth it in um, other words? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like um, whatever market um, GME is in, they don't report like, um, what's it called? How much stock is like shorted or whatever. Because I'm pretty sure they do it in the ASX, um, like the report. No, they do it every two weeks. But every is two every weeks. two weeks enough or something? No, like so I think that that then we also route back to transparency. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, um, in in our in in our uh, background research, we try to dig up more data to try to, well, at least in my attempt to dig up more data to try to you know create a more data focused discussion. I came to realize. Holy fucking shit! You have the New York Stock Exchange um, that literally does not release enough data for me yeah. to feel comfortable to trade on that stock exchange. Exactly. So I think 
I think fundamentally it does come down to what like what kind of market do you want do you want sort of like a, a free like do you want a free market with sort of you know perfect info like perfect information and perfect competition or do you want sort of a highly regulated market where some things are some things are allowed and some things are not allowed i think i think you know well, so, oh i don't agree there i don't agree there because they're trying to create a free market they're trying to reduce regulation but information is definitely not perfect i think that like when when you're come, come, when you're talking about perfect information i think a high degree of regulation has to come in in order for perfect information to be floating around or else your average like okay so you know citron being a, a, an exception but i am sure most of your big institutions that have the funding to research and produce this much market data wouldn't release it yeah so so i think I think we kind of exist in a spectrum where there's no market and then there's a perfectly competitive market. And I think we all have to understand that neither extreme are ever possible. Yep. You know, it's impossible to not have a market at all because that would just create a black market. Like <laughs> there'll always be a share market, even if you yep. ban, ban shares. And then are you ever going to have this perfect market with perfect information? Clearly that's a pipe dream. Like that by definition cannot exist mm. um so it's kind of it's really sort of where do we want to push the capital market like where along the spectrum do we push it and i guess what i'd always argue for is really just better information and people doing their due, due diligence is a better outcome than this whole like oh let's protect retail investors by you know not even giving them a seat at the table you know like Oh, let's raise the capital requirements. You know, in a lot of in a lot of capital markets, they'll say stuff like, "Oh, you need to have a million US dollars before you're allowed to, you know, to enter this market." So take like the pre-IPO market in America, trading private company stock, you need to be an accredited investor. So um, financial assets of over a million US dollars. I don't view that as a good thing. I don't view locking retail investors out of a market as a as a good thing, it just becomes a club of you know rich people for them to get even richer. Mm. Uh, I, yeah, what I meant was more like your you you grouped uh, uh, unregulated and um, and 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 uh, equal equal information uh, together. And I, uh, in my opinion, in order to try to remotely achieve equal equal rights, equal access to information, there has to be a high degree of regulation coming in to do yeah. that because your information your data is coming out or is produced by those who have the capital to back that sort of market research um then in which case if you're not regulating them to release that they won't i feel like it has to be a balance between um i think of course neither side is impossible but this uh, important thing to bring up is like the balance between the sec and the companies so of course, these all these companies should be able to do free um, whatever they want to do. Um, but um, when it comes to information spreading, then the SEC has to come in and say you have to do this. You have to release what you're doing and whatever. So yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Then like too, too, too much regulation and, you know, you might as well just, you know, bow down to your robot overlords and you know, go and live in a communist state. Yeah. Um, but like the way I'm seeing it, more so in America, more, more so in the States is um, uh, they've taken deregulation to such a point where your big money can literally come in and pound the shit out of your little money and no one like bats an eyelid. Yeah. 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 So, so I guess we've, you know, you've also got to remember that we live in a world where regulators can't keep up with technology. You know, back in the day, creating a report every quarter, like creating a report every quarter was not easy. You know, now all these reporting could be done, you know, it could be automated daily. Like we could easily have, these companies publishing sort of daily daily yep. figures but it's in the company's best interest to sort of you know no. push the regulators to be like hey you know like it's still the 1970s and creating reports is very troublesome so can we please only report one every quarter you know like notice yeah, that, notice how all this BS, but, but notice how all this bs is going on at the end of the reporting cycle yep. like it's just before the companies have to release their their holdings yep. Like the reports will be coming out sort of in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. No, they've actually already reported, but like it's not coming out yet. So they, oh, they had to, yeah, yeah they, they had to, they had to file, they, they had to file it at the end of last year, end of December. Yeah. Um, but yeah. for some reason, I mean, okay, no, not for some reason. Bureaucratic public sector bullshit. It takes a month and a half to release it. That that's what it yeah. is. Um, yeah. So even then, like even you know, even that report that's coming out in two weeks. Um, that will not be able to explain what the hell has happened in the past two weeks, because yeah, whatever positions they that like that that report you're showing won't be the most updated one. Exactly. So like I'm 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 waiting for what the mid-May one because because that's you know that's the next quarter. I, I want to see I I want to see where, how some of these institutions have changed their positions and and whatnot. Definitely. Yeah. That 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 is when like very interesting discussions can happen whether like you know whether this was a setup and a bait you know mm. um whether th whether this was uh you know your, your your bait and switch sort of bullshit or like it was just retards being retards you know <laughs> yeah sure sure yeah what do you think what do you think you know like retards being retards or they were baited um i think there's elements of I think there's elements of everything, you know, there's a lot of nuance here. There are some Wall Street betters that just, you know, play this like absolute legends and they, you know, like sort of props to them. I think there's, uh, you know, there were some losers, you know, like Melvin Capital, Citron Capital, like they really, they really lost out on this. So, you know, I think they've just got to take the L. And then I think there's sort of everyone in the middle, you know, there were the retail guys who, you know, got in a bit late, but at, at, you know at least they haven't lost billions um you know i think that you know maybe a few institutions did pretty well for themselves so yeah i think it's really a mixed bag it's you know it's kind of there's some winners and some losers here yeah very nice right. very based yeah what are your thoughts well oh, best yeah were they baited or was it a just i think retards being retards overall wall street bets did something that i never saw was possible i mean i've been following all their puts on tesla and whatnot and killing the tesla shorters but this is something that is absolutely absurd and like in a way if you look at it just on the surface literally has no reason to exist um but in the end 
you know, it's a mixed bag. There's some blokes there who insanely won like over influence and also money, but also some people just got on the tail of it, you know. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, anyway, look, we should call it here. Um, God, it's been a while, but uh, thank you both for uh, for your for your time here. It's been it's been fun. It's been fun. Um, it's been fun looking at it means and uh, how the next generation make their decisions. God bless us. Jesus fucking Christ. God, I work in the education. We work in the education in like the industry and good God. This reminds me of how our body, uh, 15, 16 year olds make their decisions about whether they do homework or not. Like it's terrible. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, I guess in summary, it really just uh, really just shows the need for financial literacy. Yeah. You know, I don't think the first place you learn about capital markets should be Wall Street bets. You know, I think that's just for the like advanced artists. I think, you know, for yeah. the units, they should, you know, there's probably some better starting places. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. So, I agree. I agree. Well, well, hey dude, look, thanks for your time, Christian. Um yep. Yeah. Yeah. You're seems like you're still at the office. I should probably go get some dinner and go home, dude. Yep, no worries. Thanks. Thanks for the chat, guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Have a good night, dude. See ya. Catch ya. You too. See you guys.